Now, with that said, I would like to serve you a second crap sandwich. If you're just joining us and, you, and you're you not a bootleg listener, I just beat up Marco for about, I don't know, 10 minutes about under the radar. So you can go to atp.fm slash join and you can hear me beating Marco up about under the radar. Uh, but I would like to s- serve you a second crap sandwich. Uh, last week's episode... While it was an unequivocal mess slash disaster, it was one of my favorite episodes in a long time because of the utter disaster that is both Marco and Mai's uh, personal setups and how we decided to turn our setups on our heads. With that said, Marco, I have completely turned my setup on my on its head yet again. Oh my god! And so, if this recording works, it will be a miracle. Uh, as of literally two ish hours ago, maybe a hint more than that. I have now been using an LG 5K, baby. It is installed. I'm using it. And in fact, my uh, USB Mix Pre 3 is connected to the monitor, which is connected to my computer. And oh, man, if this works, I'll be impressed. You're running your sound interface through one of the ports on the back of the Ultrafine? Yes, I am. Oh, my God. I learned it by watching you. Say what? <laughs> so, Marco, I love you. I oh. really do. Oh, God. <laughs> but this is going to be an adventure for all of us. So, uh, I, God can... help you with the drift. The, the only thing is, you better be recording on that mix pre and with its built-in SD card. Because that's going to be the only <laughs> drift-free recording that you get. <laughs> <laughs> I am. And, and all kidding aside, if it is a disaster, I expect, I know you will tell me, but I expect you to tell me and I'll rejigger things for next week. But I wanted to give it a try. And I thought, you know, why would I only plug in this monitor and use that for power for my computer? And Ethernet, by the way, is also on this monitor. Uh, why would I only oh do Ethernet and power? Why not just do the audio interface there as well? Just really go for broke. And so here you go, Marco. There's your second crap sandwich. I hope you love it. Oh, You're missing wow. up another piece of bread. That's an open face crap sandwich. Yeah, it's more of a melt. <laughs> uh, we should talk one last time uh, and I, I can't sing otherwise I would one last time about the ATP store which is back baby but it's on its way out the door uh, you can go to atp.fm slash store and you can get all sorts of sweet merchandise which at least if you're in the con- contiguous whatever continental US I always get the word wrong if you're in the big part of the United States you should no guarantees should get it by the holidays so isn't Alaska a pretty big part of the United States Oh, that's just the Mercator projection. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's big, but not as big as it looks. Oh, I'm so sorry, Alaskans. So here we go. We got the M1 Pro shirt. We've got the M1 Max shirt available on black colored uh cloth, uh, either tri-blend or cotton, and then rainbow print on the front and a monochrome uh, version of the respective chips on the back. Then we've got the M1 Pro shirt, which we've curiously named monochrome, which does make sense because the print is monochrome, and yet these are on very div- many varied colors of shirt. So uh, you can go colorful ink, black shirt, or you can go colorful shirt, white or black ink, depending on which shirt color we're talking about. We also have the ATP winner hat. Note, this is a turkey hat. It is not a chicken hat, uh, but it is still very, very nice. We've also brought back the ATP hoodie and additionally the ATP logo shirt, the classic, classic ATP logo shirt. So here's the thing. As we record this, it's Wednesday night. Uh, we are probably going to be releasing it Thursday sometime by, I believe it's Friday evening. Is that right, gentlemen? Yep. Friday evening, uh, ATP time. The store will close for the sweet... Um, 
uh, like Kickstarter style stuff that we've got going on now. And then sometime over the weekend, we will go back to the print on demand stuff, which is far more limited. So as always, if you are driving, if you are walking, if you are biking, if you are rollerblading, if you're unicycling, whatever you may be doing, if you are moving in any way, please gently and gracefully stop and move to the side of the road or sidewalk that you're on and go to atp.fm slash store and check out the wares and perhaps make a purchase. Now, a couple of quick reminders. Number one, if you are an ATP member, go to your member page on atp.fm and there will be a unique coupon code that you can use to get 15% off on these limited time sales like the one we're talking about right now. And if you wanted to be a member, uh, become a member again, atp.fm slash join. Additionally, I believe I talked about this last week, but I'd like to reiterate that Cotton Bureau, who is our fulfillment and print people, um, they're they're excellent, excellent, amazing uh, friends of ours. They have rejiggered their shipping system such that it should, no guarantees, should be cheaper for anyone who is not American. And in many cases, including for Australia, I don't know if any of the other other Southern Hemisphere countries are the same way, but at least for Australia, uh, the VAT and some of those other taxes, they will do their best effort to calculate that at purchase time so you don't get a sweet holiday surprise, thanks to your friends at ATP. So again, atp.fm slash store, you are running out of time. Every time you guys, one of you says, oh, uh, I, I meant to and I forgot. Is it too Yes, it's too late. Go now. <laughs> atp.fm slash store. I feel like people do that now just to troll you. They do. Which is funny because they literally like miss out on the sale just as a method to troll you. <laughs> yep. But you know what? It, it's their loss, not mine. Well, it is kind of mine. But still, it's also theirs. Uh, so atp.fm slash store. Remember, this is the holiday sale. So if you're thinking of getting, even if you don't want one of these things, or if if you're being subjected to this podcast, say you're a prisoner in a car <laughs> and someone is playing this podcast and you don't want to hear it, but you think you might want to get the person who forced you to listen to this podcast, you might want to get them a nice gift, go to atp.fm slash store quickly, very, very quickly, because this is, is probably like a day or less, depending on when you hear this, very quickly, like basically now, and secretly buy them something. And then maybe you can bribe them into not playing this podcast when you're stuck in the car with them. all right and then if you become a member remember if you become a member remember uh you do not have to cancel despite what john thinks and you can enjoy the sweet sweet benefits like the bootleg for example so you can hear the first of the crud sandwiches that i served marco earlier this evening so uh check that out atp.fm slash join atp.fm slash store now Let's do some follow-up. Uh, we talked last week, I believe it was, about how, I think the, the genesis of this was that I do not have uh, messages in the cloud or in iCloud turned on, and I think you guys might have made fun of me a little bit, and I said, oh, I was worried about you know encryption and so on and so forth, and we kind of waved our hands at it because we, didn't, we weren't entirely sure of the specifics of it, and a few people wrote in and pointed out the specifics about encryption and uh, iCloud and messages. And so reading from the iCloud security overview, it says, for messages in iCloud, if you have an iCloud backup turned on, your message, or excuse me, your backup includes a copy of the key protecting your messages. This ensures that you can recover your messages if you lose access to your keychain and your trusted devices. When you turn off iCloud backup, a new key is generated on your device to protect future messages that is not stored by Apple. So if I read this right, the short, short version is, it is still end-to-end encrypted, even with messages in the cloud, as long as you do not have iCloud backup turned on. The moment you have iCloud backup turned on, though, all bets are off in terms of end-to-end encryption. Is that fair? You should listen to ATP because we talked about this before and said the exact same thing. But not everyone has heard every episode, so it's good to hear this. I think the reason we, uh, like, you know, didn't mention this specifically is because, in general, we assume that everybody has iCloud backup turned on. Do you have iCloud backup turned on, Casey? I'm pretty sure I do, yeah. 
pretty sure or sure? You know, I never used to, but then once I started doing the Apple One Plus whatever thing, I finally had the space in which to do it. And so I think that I do. I'm trying to stall for time and figure that out, but somebody else can start talking. Yeah, I, I would recommend people use iCloud Backup, and I assume most people do use iCloud Backup if they can, because it's a very convenient way to get your stuff backed up. And it's uh, it's kind of like what Time Machine wishes it was, which is like, oh, someone hits a switch in a setting somewhere and then never has to think about it again. And that vastly increases the odds that if they you know drop their phone into a lake uh, and don't have someone dive down and get it for them, <laughs> that they'll have their data protected. So uh, the reason we say, oh, messages in the cloud means uh, Apple can get access to your messages is because we just assume people have iCloud backup turned on. And honestly, you should in general. Like, obviously, you know, obviously, if you really, really are paranoid about security, I guess don't turn it on or use a different app like Signal or I don't know what you want to do if you're that paranoid about security. But for the average person, don't turn off iCloud backup because you're afraid of Apple having your encryption key. It's better for you to have pictures of your kids than to worry about Apple looking at your messages. Well, and to get ahead of the inevitable feedback, yes, hypothetically, law enforcement could compel Apple to give them a view into your messages, theoretically. Yeah, no, I know. But I'm saying, like, it's which which one of these things is the more likely bad thing to happen to you? And you have to choose amongst them. It's not great to have all choices. We wish there was a way to do these double end encrypted. But as Apple explains, they're trying to they're trying to save your bacon. Because the way iCloud Keychain works is if you do lose all your quote unquote trusted devices, there's nothing Apple can do to get it back, Right. And that's a thing that can happen to people, especially say you had just one iPhone and you lost and broke that iPhone and had no backups and that had pictures of your kids on it for the past two years and you don't have any place else. That's not good. Apple doesn't want that to happen. That is far more likely to happen than you to be the person who the government compels Apple to give your secret encryption key and look at your messages and so on and so forth. Not saying this is a great choice for people to have to make, but these are the choices given to us. And of those two choices, I would recommend using iCloud Backup. Uh, Real-time follow-up, I do have iCloud Backup turned on. And again, I think that's only been since I joined Apple One, but it is on. That's good. All right, go team. Uh, Apple has had some problems with macOS Monterey, and it kind of uh, bricking some T2-enabled Macs. Can you tell me about this? Uh, People keep using the term brick. I'm wondering if it's one of those terms that's going to lose its original meaning, and I'm not going to be able to to yell at people for using it wrong because it will have the new meaning. But anyway, the, the... the original meaning for brick is that your computer becomes a brick, basically as useful as a brick, as in this is a piece of hardware that cannot be resurrected, that it is now like, you know, someone will have to open this up and do stuff inside it to resurrect this. It is basically a brick. Like, that's where the term comes from. Uh, not that this isn't a bad bug. It was. There was something with the Monterey update that would hose the uh, bridge OS uh, thing that runs the on the T2 chip. And that would just cause your computer not to boot correctly. But you could resurrect it. You could do what I had to do to my Mac Pro. And I did the same, you know, an, an old, I think it was like a Big Sur update or something. Yeah. Hosed my this. Bridge OS. There's a way, you have to have another Mac, which is not a problem in this house, but for some people it might be. <laughs> um, but you can you can resurrect a, a, another Mac using the Apple Configurator 2. And it's a whole big weird procedure, but you can do it. That's why it's not bricked. Because if it was bricked, you wouldn't be able to resurrect it. Like it would just like you can't resurrect a brick. Anyway, setting aside the pedantry about the term brick, there was a bug with the Monterey update. Apple says they have identified and fixed the issue with the firmware on the Apple T2 security chip, blah, blah, blah. Um, and they say the updated firmware is now included with the existing macOS updates. So it's not like they had to release a new version, I guess. I guess if you just run the updater now, um, you'll get the new firmware. So whatever. Um, the Ars Technica article that we got this from uh, points out that this uh, Apple statement doesn't address similar complaints of people who had pre-T2 Macs. 
Um, so maybe there's a still problem, still a problem with really older Macs. But like we said last week, Monterey seems pretty safe. I've upgraded all my computers. It's been fine. If you had a T2 based Mac and you were worried about it, apparently hey, Apple has fixed that bug and you're fine to upgrade. If you've got a pre T2 Mac, perhaps there are still problems, but hard to say. And then tell me about ways to avoid the notch, which, by the way, I really don't think is necessary in my personal estimation, but a lot of people seem to be very worked up about this. So how can you avoid the notch? So Roberto Jungdreves says the cleanest way to get rid of the notch without having to deal with suboptimal resolution, because we were talking last week, like when when you said that compatibility thing, it shrinks the whole image down to non-native res, is to use RDM. I don't know what that stands for. I tried to look it up, but it's a project on GitHub. We'll put a link in the show notes. Using RDM, Roberto says, I can switch the new MacBook Pro resolution from the native 1512 by 982 uh, points to 1512 by 945 points, which makes the notch permanently go away. So what this thing does, this is a, the utility is just letting you pick resolutions that aren't offered to you in system preferences because you just get those five choices or whatever. This lets you see way more choices. And one of the choices is a resolution that falls short of where the notch is. So, you know, if he, uh, there was a tweet, Roberto had a tweet from this, you can see a picture of his Mac. And lo and behold, his Mac has a taller black forehead around the top border <laughs> of the screen, just like all the old MacBooks used to. So if you want to just sort of throw those pixels back in Apple's face, Apple gave you all these extra pixels of the sort of ears around the notch. If you just want to throw those pixels back in Apple's faces, you know what? I'm not going to use those pixels. I'm going to pretend those pixels aren't there. I'm going to set my screen to a resolution that falls below where the notch is and just ignore all those pictures and pixels and they'll just be turned off all the time. And hopefully I won't have any mini LED blooming reminding me that that's, that's actually screen behind there. Um, that is a way to just forget about the notch entirely and pretend that Apple gave you a smaller screen than they actually did. All right, so we have both Marco and me some more MacBook Pro uh, observations and, and so on. Uh, just some quickies for me. So over the last week or so since we recorded, um, I've taken the occasion a couple of times to work with the MacBook Pro outside. And it may all be in my head, I don't think it is, but it may be all in my head. But one of the things that I've really enjoyed about working outside with this thing is that I feel like the screen is legitimately brighter. And I know they talked about, oh, it's, you know, a, a thousand nits or whatever at peak brightness. Um, but I, I don't recall what my last year's MacBook Pro was. I don't really know what the numbers say to compare. It honestly doesn't really matter. All I can tell you is that my lived experience, placebo or otherwise, is that it is genuinely quite a bit brighter and easier to see outside, which is great, even in even in sunlight, which is very impressive. I don't know why you're doubting your experience. Yeah, it's way brighter. <laughs> okay, well, no, I because I, I don't know if the numbers, I don't know if the numbers would say. The, the numbers are big. I think like your old one is probably like 300 nits max and this thing goes up to 1,000, but it's probably displaying at 500. But either way, mm -hmm. more than 300. There you go. So yeah. Uh, no, you can look up. I'm just making up the numbers. I'm saying, yes, th this, it does not surprise me that your much brighter screen looks brighter. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out. Um, additionally, so I have... Uh, really enjoyed from time to time going and working at like a park, especially uh, in pandemic times, once we came to realize that, you know, if you're more than 10 feet away from somebody, especially outside, then, you know, you should be pretty safe. Not, you know, knock on wood, all things being considered. And, um, and so I've tried 
uh, from time to time to go and find places to work. And, you know, I used to go to like a local grocery store. It's a very fancy grocery store and it has like a little cafe area. I'm not a coffee drinker, so I didn't really ever go to Starbucks. But if I was, I would have gone to Starbucks. And but since, you know, the pandemic has happened and is happening, I'm still mostly allergic to the indoors. So I've been trying to find outdoors places to, to go and work. And there's a lot of really great parks in the county in which I live. And other things like that. And so over the last year and a half or two years, I've been amassing a private um, Apple Maps collection, I think they call it, that I call Places to Work. And, you know, I'll take a note of, oh, right here in this park, there's some picnic tables that are shaded. Or over there, there's, you know, a, a shady area that has picnic tables underneath it. Oh, and these ones have power and so on and so forth. And one of the things that was a, a real struggle for me is if I wanted to sit down for like several hours and do work, particularly outside, irrespective of like my internet situation, which was often but not always tethering, on my old laptop, like I really needed to worry about power after just an hour or two. And, you know, I have an, a USB-C battery pack that I can use. It's big enough physically in, in, in terms of what milliamp hours or whatever that I can power a computer with it for some amount of time. But even still, I would only have, I don't know, three or four hours or something like that on my last year's laptop. And let me tell you, I spent all morning outside at a botanical garden here in Richmond. Don't be creepy. And, uh, and I was on like 75% battery or something like that. When I left, I should have actually taken note of how much, how long I was there and how much battery I used. But the point I'm driving at is I really don't need to worry about power as long as I'm not going to be out literally all day. And I know that this is old news for those of you who have had M1 Max before, but even with the M1 Max and 64 gigs of RAM and 24 GPUs, it is real nice not having to worry about power for like three and four hours at a time, um, which is, which is super cool. And I, I've really appreciated already. Now, in, in the spirit of me rejiggering my desk setup, I realized, well, I'm going to be unloading this iMac Pro, uh, which, by the way, if you're interested, please reach out. But I'm going to be unloading this iMac Pro in the next couple of weeks, and I will presumably be sending the keyboard and, and trackpad that came with it to the next owner. So now I need a new setup unless I'm going to live with the uh, keyboard and trackpad that are physically on the, the laptop, which when I'm at home, I don't really want to do because it's not terribly ergonomic. So I went to the Apple store and I bought myself a fancy new uh, 100 and whatever key uh, extended keyboard with a, with a numpad. Um, the one with Touch ID? Yes. The new one with Touch ID and then a new uh, trackpad, which I think is in most ways the same as what I had, except white instead of, of much more attractive, in my opinion, dark gray. Uh, but I bought one of, you know, a trackpad and a new keyboard. Do you have any idea how friggin' expensive <laughs> these things are? <laughs> I believe. It was like... The, tr uh, the keyboard, I think, is 150 the small one is, I believe. I believe the big one was one eighty. Oh God! Okay, right? and then the <laughs> yeah, and then the small yeah, they're right. The small one touch ID is one fifty. I, I, I've been thinking about ordering one, but but yeah, the the um, the trackpad I think is also about one sixty or one eighty. I thought right? it was one thirty. I don't have these numbers in front oh, of me. It's it expensive. Yeah, I'm, yeah. It doesn't matter if I if I don't have it exactly right. But all told, between the two of them, and I also got a second MagSafe, you know, an additional MagSafe cable. But I think. I think it was like 310, 320 bucks for just the keyboard and the mouse or something like that. Like it was preposterously expensive, just hilariously expensive. And to get ahead of people asking, like I actually didn't necessarily want the keyboard with the numeric keypad. Uh, it is what I chose, but it's not what I necessarily wanted. But did you remember the Achilles heel of the smaller sized keyboard that does not have the numeric keypad on it? 
It's got the messed up arrow keys. It's got the piss poor arrow keys. And since I'm used to the extended version, because that's what the iMac Pro came with, I thought to myself, you know what? I'd rather have the proper arrow keys and the numeric keypad, which I do use from time to time, but not enough to really justify it in the grand scheme of things. Uh, so I ended up splurging for the $180, I can confirm that now, $180 Magic Keyboard with Touch ID and numeric keypad for Mac models with Apple Silicon, hyphen US English. That's a great, that's really a great keyboard anyway. And by the way, that little keyboard that we're talking about, like what, do you, what were we saying by the messed up arrow keys is it has the the style that used to be on all the Mac laptops where uh, the up and down arrows are half size and wedged into like a single keycaps space. And then the left and right arrows are full size keys. So you have three keys in a row, left, then the up, down, and then right, that are all kind of the same height. And what we wanted on the laptops and what we got on the current laptops is what we call the inverted T, where the left and right arrows are half height. And you would think that's worse. You're making the left and right arrows smaller. They must be harder to hit. But the key about them being half height is now you can feel for that T because you can feel the half height key and then the full height up and down pair and then the other half height key that goes to the right. Um, and it's easy, you know, it's... And obviously the full-size keyboard has an inverted T as well. You can actually feel for the keys without looking at them. And if you're used to that, going to the full-size left and right keys was a downgrade for a lot of people. And apparently Apple agreed because so they, they changed it on their laptops. But this one keyboard, this one dinky tiny keyboard that comes with the iMacs and that you get if you don't buy this extended one, um, it has the full height left and right arrow keys. And the reason it has the full height left and right arrow keys, if you look at the picture of it, is that if you tried to make the right arrow key, in particular half height, it wouldn't quite work because the corner of the keyboard is rounded. And so that key would not just be half height, but it would also have its corner chopped off. So this is a one of the few remaining examples of fairly egregious form over function where someone decided that it was really, really important for this keyboard to have rounded edges at the cost of the arrow keys being easier and more comfortable to use for most people. That's not a good trade. I know it looks cute when the keyboard has rounded corners. The, the, the keyboard you bought, Casey, has rounded corners. And so the enter key is rounded, the control key is rounded, the escape key is rounded, and the F19 key are rounded. And it's not that bad because they're still pretty big keys. It's like enter and control and escape are much bigger than a normal key. And then F19, who hits that? It's not a big deal. Um, but for the little keyboard, they sacrifice the usability of the arrow keys just so it could have extremely rounded corners. I think that is a bad trade. I hope Apple fixes that. That seems like it was like directly from like the ghost of Johnny Ive. Like somehow Johnny <laughs> came back into the building and I guess his key card still works probably and he came back in and somehow he convinced like one person like, hey, just you know, just do this for me. I, I can't live with these less rounded keyboard corners that would otherwise make usable arrow keys. I, I, can't, I can't tolerate that. You got to round it a little <laughs> bit more and make it a little bit more like this wonderful generation of keyboards you made from 2016 to 2019. Yeah, please make it more like that. And that's why, like, you know, it's not like the, the keyboard that I'm using right now, the one that came with my Mac Pro, it's not like it doesn't have rounded corners. It does. The radius is just smaller of the rounding. Like, that's it. Like, it's not like this has sharp corners that needed to be to be fixed. And it's also not like the keyboard that I'm using right now is somehow a giant battleship like the Apple Extended Keyboard 2 or something. It's so tightly wrapped around the keys, it's like it disappears. And yet this, this tightness and this amount of rounding was deemed insufficient for the new computers because the radius of the rounded corners should be similar on the screen and the keyboard's like no fine you can do that fine but if you want to do that uh either make the border on your keyboards bigger or i don't know like just don't mangle the arrow keys for it it's a bad choice but anyway i'm glad the extended one doesn't suffer from this and it's i know casey doesn't want the extended one because most people don't want a numpad but 
Page up, page down, home end, and real full-size inverted T arrow keys. It's a great way to live. And delete, you know, forward delete or whatever it is. Yep, yeah, and forward delete without hitting FN. Yep. Yeah, all these are very true. So it's I'm, I shouldn't complain. It's The thing I'm complaining about more than anything else is that it was a hundred, I've now re- looked it up, $180 for the keyboard and 130 for the Magic Trackpad. So 310 friggin' dollars for peripherals for this stupid computer that I actually absolutely am in love with. But nevertheless. Yeah, I got, uh, man, I, the more I'm using this computer, <laughs> like, oh man, the new MacBook Pros are good. They're, They're so, so good. good. <laughs> and, you know, I was, it, it was funny too, because after I was doing work at the Botanical Gardens, uh, you know, Declan was in school, but Aaron and Michaela came and met me and we, you know, walked around, had lunch and stuff. And I was saying to Aaron, you know, I liked using my old laptop and it was perfectly sufficient, but it was always a little bit of a pain because it was demonstrably slower than the iMac Pro. And so if I'm choosing to say like work on the screened in porch, unless I pull an MKBHD and like haul the iMac Pro down there, I'm, I'm still using a, a slower computer and it's frustrating and it's just annoying. Whereas here it was, I was in the middle of a garden on a computer that was tethered to nothing with a cable and tethered to my phone for internet. And it's so incredibly fast. Like I cannot oversell how fast it is to build and run this new thing I'm working on. It is so fast and so nice. And it's so amazing to not have to feel like I am, I am crippling myself when I step away from my desk. Of course, now that I say that, um, that's a perfect segue to the LG 5K, which Uh. I have acquired secondhand. Now, this person did not ask for a plug, but um, my friend uh, Chris Gray, who is part of, with Glenn Welsh, the uh, Starport 75 podcast, which I've guested on a handful of times, and I actually plan to do so again soon. Uh, It's a Disney-themed podcast. It's really good, and and they they have a great uh, chemistry, the two of them. Well, Chris didn't want his LG 5K anymore, and so he sold it to me at a a tremendously great deal. And so I felt a lot better spending the money I spent on it rather than spending like $1,300 or whatever it is to get a brand new one. That being said, I haven't exactly canceled the order I have for the brand new one. And I know I should, but I can't quite bring myself to do it because I think it would be so awesome to have two of these. But nevertheless, um, the LG 5K in terms of a screen based on three hours of use, the screen is great. It's not as great as the one in in the MacBook Pro, but it's great. It's perfectly fine perfectly fine, perfectly serviceable. And it has four USB-C ports in the back. I love that you started out with great, and then you went to perfectly fine, <laughs> and then you went to perfectly serviceable. You're not wrong. You're not, no, it, it is great. It, <laughs> in my opinion, it is really great. However... Would you agree that it's fine? It is ultra fine, baby. Uh, but the, <laughs> the stand... Fine the stand is just as crappy as everyone says it is. It is so bad. Like I try to bring it up to full height and, and I don't know if maybe it's because I have a couple of things plugged into it, like ethernet and the USB pre or excuse me, the USB, USB mix three. Uh, but whatever it is, when I raise the stand up to full height, you know what it does? And shrinks down like two inches, just, just settles back in like an old desk chair that's been at the office for too long. Um, which is very funny to me. And I might just get a visa, visa, whatever it's called mount for it. But let me tell you, based again on just a few minutes of use, it is so nice pairing the MacBook Pro, which is so fast with this beautiful screen that is basically the same as what I had in my iMac Pro. Like, maybe it isn't on paper, but it's effectively the same to my eyes. It's nearby. Yeah, I am so happy having this thing here. This is so great, and I'm so excited. The only problem I have with my computing life right now is, for the longest time, 
I feel like the um, that that I was a Bluetooth unicorn, and so many people whine and moan about how like Bluetooth is garbage for peripherals and it's always laggy and this and that and the other thing. And for years, I've never had this problem. And I feel like it may be all in my head, but I feel like I'm getting a little bit of like stuttering and lag off of the new Magic Trackpad, and it's brand new with a brand new computer, so it's got to be like some interference or something. I don't know, but. It's really bothering me that it's happening at all. So I'm hopeful I'll be able to report in a week that it just has, it's stopped, or maybe once I unplug the iMac, that'll fix it. Who knows? Uh, but this happened before the LG, for the record. The, the, the LG wasn't here yet when I noticed this. Um, but all told, I am so freaking happy with my computing life right now. I cannot overstate how happy I am. And the track, uh, the touch ID and the keyboard works so well, uh, the ex- external keyboard. Like, I'm so happy, you guys. I'm so, so happy. My life is so good right now. Marco, let's keep let's keep it up. Tell me how your life is. It's similarly really good. <laughs> good, good. It, oh my god. It these computers are so good. So my, my current setup is, you know, it's basically what it was last week. I don't think I changed anything. Um, I'm waiting on a couple of Thunderbolt hubs to come in to make this a little bit nicer, but the the gist of it is that right now I have my my 16-inch desktop laptop um, <laughs> off to the side in a in a vertical clamshell stand like some kind of like wood thing that stands up vertically um and i have it so the vent is on top like the hinge the the screen hinge is on top um the downside of this so there's a little quirk about the design of these if you're going to use it in like a vertical stand the apple logo and the macbook pro etching on the bottom are in opposite orientation so oh no no matter how you stand it up one of those is going to be upside down um, but the way I stand it up with the hinge on top, the Apple logo goes upside down, but that doesn't matter. It's like, that's like facing into the speaker next to it. So I don't see it. Um, but so, so I have access to the ports on the side, uh, on one side and the other side I have like plugged into like the main docking stuff. So I have like, I can reach over and access my SD card slot because that side of it's facing me and it's off to the right side of like my center monitor thing. And anyway, it looks cool and it works really well. And I figure having the, hinge slash vent on top should help convection cooling and help the fans not need to not need to work as hard um and occasionally i will be like if i'm doing something intensive on the processor i'll reach my hand over to see if i can feel hot air coming out the top and it's never gotten beyond like slightly warm (laughs) so this thing really does have um a, a pretty incredible cooling system i've never heard the fans um as of yet yeah same um, so so far I'm, I'm very happy with that um and the 14 inch has been my around the house you know workout facetime slash upstairs slash you know portable needs and it's been fantastic um i did actually i'm, I'm experimenting with a change um my ipad is it's still the it's the first 11 inch model which i believe was the 2018 model i'm barely using it anymore uh, because frankly mac laptops got so much better than they were and every time i use my ipad i wish it was a mac laptop instead and so i'm temporarily trying to just use my m1 air right in place of the ipad so in the kitchen on the counter i ordered like one of those like little like plastic keyboard overlays to try to keep some dust and crumbs out of it because sometimes <laughs> i'll operate it with like slightly damp hands or you know maybe i'll have like something on my hands from cooking or something um but i'm trying just having that be the macbook air and so far i'm kind of loving it so we'll see like because i i really don't want to replace that ipad with another ipad just because i'm not 
iPadding enough. Like that, whatever value iPad power users get out of it as like their like glorious everything machine, I've never really gotten there with it. And I think a MacBook Air in that context for me, especially since I already have it, like it's not like I had to go buy something separate. I already have these things, and it's only a question of like you know, which one do I give away slash sell slash trade in at some point or save for my, my kid to, to have to use when he needs a laptop, you know, something like that. But like, now that I had both in my house, it's really, really nice to just have a small Mac on the kitchen counter instead of an iPad for my personal needs and preferences. Because so often when I'm doing anything on an iPad, I run into something where I'm like, oh, I got to save this for next time I'm on a Mac. Yep. Uh, or I could do this so much easier or better if I was on a Mac. And so now I'm just on a Mac. <laughs> it's a lot nicer. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and it does feel like a little bit wasteful of such a powerful computer. Um, but at the same time, like, if I bought a new iPad today, it would have similar processing power. And I would only be using it mostly to like type notes and add stuff to Amazon and my shopping cart in the kitchen while I, when, I, when I ran out of something. So like, it would be a waste of computing potential either way. Might as well have the computer that I can do lots more stuff on that I need to do than, as opposed to the one that I so often will hit a wall and be like, well, I guess I got to save this for later. Well, I think the Mac is probably slightly more vulnerable to kitchen hazards than the iPad. Yes, and, and, that's, to, and that's why I got why I ordered that keyboard cover. And I know it's still going to be a little more vulnerable, but it's not a super big risk of getting wet, Casey. Uh, it's, Hi. It's more... <laughs> <laughs> it, the bigger risk is just that, that like my hands might be a little bit dirty while operating it um, just because of where it is. it's pretty far from any water sources. But I, and I also figure like because it's the fanless MacBook Air that whatever ventilation it would get from sucking air in through the keyboard isn't a thing. So covering that keyboard with a plastic you know cover thing shouldn't be a problem. You know, you, you talking about this reminded me of a couple things. Uh, first of all, at the moment, I'm currently running the MacBook Pro adjacent to the LG 5K. So I'm you know using two screens, which is the first time I've done this for more than a few minutes in a long time. And I'm not sure if I'm going to stick with it. However, I'm using, I think this is originally, it was a hand-me-down. I think it's the 12 South, like, I forget what they called it. I'll try to remember to get up for the show notes. But it's a thing that lifts up an iMac off the desk because iMacs are notorious for being way too low. And I've put my MacBook Pro on that. So now my computer is elevated off the desk. I hope you guys are very happy. Oh, that's good. So now you can you can spill up to like three inches of water and it's not a problem. Uh, that's true. And the only thing I have to worry about is my $310 of peripherals I just bought. Right. <laughs> uh, and then actually, speaking of peripherals, I forgot to mention earlier, I think we might have spoken about this before. So for, uh, forgive me if I'm repeating us slash myself. The peripherals come with braided USB-C to lightning cables, which are delightful. These are so nice. Yeah, they're really nice. I don't know if we talked about that before, but they're so great. We did last week. Okay. I just want to make sure. <laughs> John's in charge of telling us what's on the show. It's not yeah. that long ago. <laughs> I can't remember what I had and, for and dinner. You know what I said last week? I said, oh, we talked about this before. Remember when I was getting all braided cables for my Mac Pro? And you said, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> You're right. Oh, gosh. I'm so sorry, everyone. So, quick little update about the um, about benchmarks on the new MacBook Pros. Um, when I when I last gave my benchmarks, I only had the 14 inch M1 Pro version with the 16 gigs of RAM. I now have the M1 Max, and I have the 16 inch, which gives me the ability to run high power mode. And I wanted to test low power mode as well. So here's how that all went. 
here, here's what all turned out. So if you recall, compared to the M1 Mac Mini, this is using an Overcast build. Um, so you know, Overcast is a moderately sized app. It's not huge. It's not tiny. It's a moderately sized app. It's a lot of Swift and a lot of Objective C, and uh, a clean build on an M1 takes about 30 seconds. On an M1 Pro, it took about 19 seconds. So m- significantly faster. Um, and then on the M1 Max, it's also 19 seconds. Uh, in fact, every test I ran, uh, all the Xcode tests, clean build, incremental, large and small builds, all of them took exactly the same amount of time, you know, give or take. I mean, this is like me, you know, mostly timing things like stopwatch based. So maybe like a half second imprecision, but they all had the same results. So I could not tell a difference. And I should note also, this is both the M1 Pro and M1 Max had the same 10 CPU cores. I had not tested the like low end eight core model. Um, so M1 Pro versus M1 Max, as far as I can tell, for, for this kind of, you know, moderate developer workload, no difference uh, between those two chips because, you know, I'm not really using the GPUs for anything and it seems like the CPU needs are, are the same. Um, also, no difference between 14-inch and 16-inch for this purpose. You know, the 16-inch does provide a much larger cooling system, um, but that seems to mostly only be a benefit to gpu heavy workloads that like video people are doing and i'm not doing any of those things um so for developers i would say any m1 pro or m1 max is going to be probably about the same for you um with the exception of like that low end eight core model again that's probably going to be a little bit slower um but still it would still be really fast (laughs) Uh, and then finally i just i decided to test high power mode and low power mode high power mode could not tell a difference at all with anything um, and this makes sense based on what we've been told about high power mode. It seems like it doesn't like increase the clock speed of the chip or anything like that. All high power mode seems to do is run the fans at higher speed and allow them to run like even higher if necessary. So if you're doing some kind of like very heavy CPU and GPU sustained workloads, like again, like video people would do, uh, that's when you're looking at high power mode on the 16-inch being a potential gain for you. Uh, But for developers, it seems to make no difference whatsoever, at least nothing that I could notice. Um, Finally, low power mode. I haven't tested any kind of like battery impact on low power mode yet because that battery test takes a very very long time and I haven't had time. Uh, But performance-wise, low power mode seems to be about 15% slower than regular mode. So not it is noticeable, but it's not a big difference. You know, like my, my 19 second build took 21 seconds. Like it's not, and this was pretty consistent. Like I I could measure it over and over again and it stayed like exactly in the same range. So low power mode, all the tests I did about 15% slower, which is interesting. Um, I'd love to learn more about it, but that's a small enough difference that I think if it has a big battery impact, it would be totally fine to, for instance, have it automatically switch to low power mode anytime it's on battery, which is one of the settings you get in the in the power system pref pane. You can have it always run low power mode when it's on battery, or you can manually switch it whenever you feel necessary, like maybe if you're on a flight or something like that. Um, but right now, I set my 14-inch to use low power mode on battery, and I haven't noticed any difference whatsoever. So maybe I'll just get even ridiculously more better battery life. <laughs> um, so yeah, overall, very impressed. Um, but it also doesn't seem to matter really which of these chips you get for developer workload, which is great news. That means you can you can be more flexible in your buying decisions and kind of you know get whatever you want. Um, I also did not notice a difference in this particular benchmark between the 16 gig and 64 gig of RAM option. But that being said, one more week of usage, 
I totally notice a difference in my actual day-to-day usage having all this RAM because I'm not just running Xcode builds over and over again. I'm bouncing between lots of different apps. I have Logic. I have Xcode. I have Adobe's garbage apps, um, which, by the way, I've, <laughs> so I, I briefly flirted with the idea of updating Quitter to terminate all of Adobe's background crap processes. <laughs> Instead, I just wrote a shell script and made LaunchD run it every 15 minutes. Nice. So, <laughs> so it's fine. <laughs> and it works great. I So I, I've totally solved my Adobe bloat problem with a shell script. Maybe I'll post it somewhere. I don't know. Oh, that's very nice. Uh, as you're talking about memory stuff, I'm looking at... So in iStat menus, uh, you can get a historical graph of your memory pressure. Yeah, I didn't know about that until yeah, like either. a few days ago. It's great. So, okay, anybody using iStat menus, go turn on a memory pressure widget because it only records this graph if you have a widget on but go turn on, turn on memory a memory widget of some kind in i type menu so that the, so the memory switch is enabled and then you can see a history of your memory pressure over th- up to 30 days since you've had it enabled so you can actually see like over time how much memory you might need right so i'm looking at my memory pressure since i got the computer and i've been using it pretty much full-time since, I don't know, day two or three. Um, my iMac literally got moved off my desk like two or three days ago. The poor thing. I love that computer so much. It pains me so much that that it's not my primary machine, but it's it's not as fast. Well, anyways, my memory pressure at its worst, would you, would you gentlemen like to guess the percentage of memory pressure I had at its worst? 10%. Stunning. Okay, Marco said 10%. John. People were showing these graphs before, and memory pressure is already a fuzzy thing. What the heck is the percentage? What does 100% memory pressure mean? This is all <laughs> meaningless numbers. I have no idea what the number is. Okay. My worst memory pressure was 5%. 5% of what? <laughs> I don't know, but it's not a lot. Yes, I can it's tell low, you it's not but a lot. I don't, yeah. hmm. Mine's 9 <laughs> Uh, I don't know. It just made me laugh. And so I probably did not need, almost certainly did not need 64 gigs of RAM, but no regrets. I am, I'm so happy that this machine as, as obscenely expensive as it and its stupid peripherals were. Uh, I am so happy with this computer. I cannot even tell you. I am, I mean, I felt, I do think I felt equally happy with the iMac pro when it was new. And actually to some degree, still to this day, it is such a nice computer. And I'm only slightly saying that because I want to sell it soon, but it is such a nice computer, but being able to pick it up and move it with Without a Pelican case, MKBHD style is also so freaking great. Yeah. I mean, the iMac Pro it, it, it is and was amazing in so many ways. We just have better computers now. Like, because the iMac Pro is also pretty old. I mean, that was also, what was that, 2018 model? 20, 2017, I think, right? Yeah, 2017, 2017. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's, that's, it's been a while now and it was never updated. Um, so, you know, that's, that's not recent anymore. When it came out and for the many years following, it was fantastic. Uh, but, you know, obviously this much time has passed. Th- better things are going to come out. One final note on the 16-inch uh, versus 14-inch. So there's been lots of, like, hardware teardowns of these laptops now, and people have done more extensive tests. Um, and it's about what you would expect. So the 16-inch, as Marco noted, it has a better cooling system. It has bigger heat pipes. It has bigger fans. And there's just plain more room in there. The air slots are bigger for entry and exit. Uh, and you can equip that computer with exactly the same system on a chip as you can in a 14-inch. So it, to no one's surprise, uh, the 14-inch has more trouble uh, moving heat out of it and uh, generally tends to get slightly hotter. That said, these laptops are so power efficient and the fans are so low RPM and so quiet. This is not a thing that you should worry about. This is only just to say, that, like, if you are wondering, 
does the 16 inch have higher cooling capacity than the 14? The answer is absolutely yes, it does. But it actually is extremely difficult to demonstrate that because you have to find a test that that stresses every single part of the system on a chip. The CPU, the GPU, the memory subsystem, the SSD stresses it all at the same time in a sustained manner and then run it for a long time and then carefully measure. And if you do all of that, you can demonstrate that, yes, under extreme situations, the 14 inch will thermally throttle by a tiny amount and the 16 inch simply won't. So it makes me wonder because high power mode is only on the 16 inch, right? Correct. It makes me wonder what the point of high power mode is if you can't even get the 16 inch to throttle no matter what you throw at it. <laughs> like, oh, I'll run the fans faster. What good? Why bother running the fans faster? Apparently, the, running the fans normally does, has no thermal throttling. So, I, mean, I don't know. Maybe there are some workloads that people haven't found yet. But anyway, uh, these the 16 inch does have a bigger, better cooler system, but it probably shouldn't matter to you. Wouldn't it be kind of funny if? Like high power mode is literally just like like the door close button on elevator on elevators. It's just like it's just there to like to please the YouTubers. <laughs> it very well could you be. Can, yeah, you can see the well. No, it actually does make the fans spin faster. People are, are doing all the little things that show you the actual fan RPM, and when you put on high power mode, like the fans preemptively run a little bit faster, like they idle higher essentially. Right, sure, but like like you know maybe it doesn't actually need to be that way for anything that anybody might actually do. Yeah, I mean it, it may be that people just haven't found the right workload because you know you have to just people are just trying. To to find like what can i do that stresses everything there there are like artificial ones that just like you know do a bunch of math and all of the units to try to make the thing melt and i bet maybe one of those would make it uh you know stressing the gpu as well would make it uh get hot but yeah this what happens if you if you run slack and dropbox at the same time (laughs) nothing can marco nothing can that's that's the thing though like all like oh i'm doing you know if you do anything you think would normally call your cause your fans to spin up on an intel laptop it's not going to on these because all those things that we talk about don't touch the gpu at all it's just something grinding your cpu and it's grinding the cpu in these computers is not going to make them break a sweat most of the chip is covered with the gpu area and they're so low power and the cooling system is so good I am really excited to hear your iPhone 13 Pro case review. And there are like 34 different bullets in this document. So yeah. why don't you run it through run through all of them with us, please? All right. So after great lengths and and actually spending a good amount of time with each of these cases, um, I, I I got a bunch of different iPhone 13 Pro cases, uh, some, of, some of which have MagSafe, some of which don't. And I finally have opinions and i wanted to share them before this phone got too old and it didn't matter anymore where we last left off was um i believe i had the nudiant case that casey you also have that's what i'm still using mm-hmm. yeah which is like it's like a kind of you know nice middle of the road you know it, it, it has MagSafe in it um like Mag- it has its own magnets it's kind of medium thickness medium grip kind of medium everything medium attractiveness like it's just kind of medium everything it's fine um, it's not amazing in any possible way, but it's totally fine. Um, one area that I was not happy with with the Nudiant case, though, is the first time I took it into my car and the MagSafe magnet on it, it was not strong enough. Um, I, I use a MagSafe car mount and it easily and repeatedly would fall off the mount if I applied a little bit of pressure to like the bottom half of the screen where it kind of like would lever itself off the mount and 
you know, the bottom of the screen often, often contains controls in apps like Waze that you might be using in the car. <laughs> so that was that was kind of a big problem. So I decided, let me look at more cases. And, and, and I wasn't super happy with the Nudian's appearance either. You know, it doesn't look that good. Um, it's, it's fine. You know, it's a piece of, you know, blue matte plastic. Um, but it did feel pretty good. So I thought, you know, this is good, but let me see if I can do better. I also, I, I did try using the Apple silicone case a little bit more. I gave up on it. It's too much friction going in and out of pockets. I thought it might be different this time for some reason. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just, you know, <laughs> hoping hoping for things that will never come. Um, but I, I think just materially, that's never going to be good. It's never going to not have a lot of friction going in and out of pockets with that material. So whatever, you know, a lot of people use the silicone case and enjoy it. More power to you. It's not for me, for my needs. I would also say that the Apple silicone case, I got that um, that blue jay color, thinking it would look kind of cool. It actually kind of looks flat and cheap. Hmm. Um, I think one thing I have learned in this process, these inexpensive materials that are used in cases, you're best off with darker colors. Kind of like John's like theory of bad car body design, uh, or like cheap paint or whatever it is. Like like the, the, like light colors kind of show how low value the material is no it's the shape for my theory for cars is the lighter the color the more you're able to actually see the shape of the car whereas if you have a car in all black it hides some of the curves which may be uh, undesirable same thing with clothes if you're trying to you know accentuate curves bright colors if you want to hide them dark mm, i should buy more dark clothes then <laughs> so I, I learned kind of like the lighter colors i was going for didn't often look good in these cases and i'll get to a little bit more of that in a second um after the Apple silicone case and the Nudian, I was kind of like, eh, let me let me see what I can do. I asked people on Twitter and people on the show wrote in, and I got a number of a number of recommendations. There were a couple that I could not test because they either aren't in stock yet or I ordered them and haven't arrived yet. Uh, one of those is uh, the Bullstrap leather case. Um, I'm actually not entirely sure I want leather anymore. Um, but I did actually pre-order one of these things forever ago. It still hasn't shipped. I don't know. It was estimated for, you know, quote, November, so it could show up anytime. Um, and then I also, many people recommended the Pitaka Mag-Ease case series. And that is not available for the iPhone 13 Pro yet in the blue color, which is the color I would want. The rest of them are kind of, it kind of looks like carbon fibery. It's not like a super attractive look. Uh, if I'm honest. Oh, no, it's not. So I, I didn't test either of those, even though they both came with a lot of recommendations. Um, so anyway, moving on to what I did test. Everyone suggested that I try Peel. Peel is a apparently famous brand of ultra-thin cases. I decided, you know, I went to the super-thin Peel iPhone 13 Pro case, and I decided to, they had a color that was advertised as Jet White. It says as a glossy finish closely resembling the Jet Black iPhone finish, but in white. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I loved the jet black iPhone. And I, I wanted to see, like, does this actually feel that feel like the way? So sure oh, enough. So white just happened to you, did it? It it just so happened to be white. Isn't that, yeah, isn't that, can, that, that something? That can happen. That's something that does happen from time to time. Yeah, isn't that something? So first of all, <laughs> I, I have to before the case even arrived, I would I had gotten a mailing list email from Peel <laughs> entitled quote, let's talk about lifestyle. Right. That was apparently the first in a planned series of emails about minimalism. Oh my gosh. And I felt like that was overreaching for the nature of our relationship as 
I just ordered your $35 iPhone case. That's it. I, it hasn't even arrived yet. I don't want your emails about your minimalism theories. <laughs> like, that's fine. I really don't need that. Thank you. So, oh, and thanks also for opting me into your email list without having a checkbox I could see. That That's real cool, Peel. Um, and then when the Peel case arrived, it arrived in a box the size of a shoebox. Oh, my god! With gosh. tons of packaging material. Like, it was so... I'm like, okay... As far as I can tell, Peel is a mostly uh, maybe a marketing company uh, because one thing I also tried from people's recommendations is the totally, with two E's, total, two L's, two E's, totally matte case. Wait, I'm sorry. What, what, what color was the matte case? It was also, uh, sorry, pearl white is the color mm. I got. Mm-hmm. It just keeps happening to you, Marco. Isn't that weird? I had the theory that maybe... A white case would look good. You know, I'm I'm living my beach lifestyle. I got a lot of light colors here. You know, like white, blue, like you know, a lot of like light colors are going on in my current life right now. So I thought maybe that would be cool. So I got the totally case. It came with way less packaging, and I was not subject to any minimalism emails. And I had to put a post-it note on the peel and the totally just so I could tell them apart, just so I could tell which one was which, rather, because these things are identical. I would be shocked. If these were not the same case, this is the same case made in the same factory. I guarantee it. There is no way that it's two different cases. So anyway, totally appears to just be the same. Whatever, whatever factory they're using, it's the same. And they even have the same color options and everything. So as far as I can tell, this is the same thing. So if you if one of them appeals to you more than the other one, go for it. The prices are around the same. It doesn't, you know, who, who knows? Um, so anyway, peel and totally both of these white cases feel okay they're very thin as promised they look like garbage if you're going to get one of these cases get a dark colored one because it's just a thin piece of plastic it looks like i wrap my phone in heat shrink tubing and ran a blow dryer over it like that's it's not (laughs) a great look and it feels okay but it's like i i can do a lot better than this now i also ordered from totally their transparent soft clear so it's a soft clear i don't know yeah clear soft is what they call it in their in their options uh by the way peel now also offers that exact same configuration what a coincidence (laughs) so the clear the soft clear totally case i absolutely love i never thought i would you know so the the downside to the soft clear totally case is that it does not have a MagSafe circle. Neither do the, neither do the Ultra Thin, by the way. Um, so none of these have MagSafe, and it's a little bit thicker than the Ultra Thin one. Um, but it it has it's like a gummy case. You know, if you there's people have been making phone cases out of this for years. I don't know. I think I think it might be like a thick, soft TPU or something. I don't know what this material is officially called. But if you ever felt like a rugged case. Uh, like in an Apple store, like from whatever brand sells like the little rugged, ruggedized ones, it has that feel to it. So it's actually, it feels kind of like a like a non-sticky gummy candy, if that makes sense. But the result is, first of all, it looks amazing because I have my my little like, you know, baby blue iPhone Pro in there and you get to see most of the iPhone through it. Now, you don't really see the sidebands very well. Like, just the, the design of the material is such that you don't see much of the detail through the sides. Um, but you do see the back color totally fine. And it looks fantastic, and it feels the best. This is by far the nicest feeling case that I have. Again, the only downside here is no MagSafe. 
but I also recognize like that putting a MagSafe circle of magnets in the back would also kind of make it uglier and and so I understand you know just like the Apple case right so I understand why they didn't do that if the Apple case the Apple clear case I mean if it was squishy plastic like this instead of the hard plastic that it is that would be perfect and I would get that every single time now because I love the way this looks and I love the way it feels. I'm very surprised by this. So so it's the iPhone the totally yes. iPhone 13 Pro transparent clear soft. Like that's not necessarily the name, but I just want to make sure I've got all of these right. Correct. And so how soft is the soft? Like if it's clear plastic, I'm, I'm having troubles computing how this can be soft. Look at, look at the picture. They show, they show someone bending it. Uh, like one of the pictures shows it bending to give you an idea. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. I see what uh, what do you call it? Uh, Otterbox makes cases of this type too. My daughter's phone has, has a case like this. On. Yeah. Otterbox. Um, there was that, that one brand, I forget what it was, but it had that like, strip of yellow around the outside band for like they asked a case band for a while it was like an impact strip or whatever they they sold them in apple stores adam had a uh, an ipad case like that a while ago it feels just like that like you if you've you've probably felt this material before in an iphone case or an ipad case like it's not this is not a new revelation this is a common material i just don't know what it's called (laughs) but but it is it is awesome and i love how it feels um i do worry a little bit like that because it's so flexible, you could easily just like scoot it over away from the case with your finger, like around the edges. And I worry that maybe a lot of dust might get in the edges that way. What you should be worried about is moisture, because I've seen this happen again with my daughter's phone. If if you get kind of you know like it looks like a like a water stain or like water trap between condensation trap between the case and the phone. Yeah, yeah, it can happen. I mean, you you can you could either just live with it or you could take the case off and scrub it out and try to be more careful, but. I mean, wouldn't that be a problem with any case? And wouldn't a clear case actually alert you to the problem earlier so you could fix it? <laughs> right, but you wouldn't see it with the real case. Like, it makes it uglier. It's, a, it's an aesthetic issue, not a not a danger, not a water danger issue. It just looks like, you know, especially if it's just clear. Like, my daughter's is, is made of this material, but it also has, like, designs painted on it, but it's mostly clear. Um, but if it was just entirely, it, it also depends on what color the phone is. It's an aesthetic issue. If it doesn't bother you, I bet people get this and never care that there's, like, a weird, you know, area that's darker or lighter because of some condensation that was there once or whatever but you, you know you can always take it off and clean it but just that can't happen oh i didn't know that okay thanks um yeah so i i spent a, a, most of the time in the intervening you know time between when we last talked about this and now i've spent most of that time with this case on because it's the one i'm happiest with overall with the exception of no max safe and, and, that, and that's a big exception but it it feels so good and looks pretty good otherwise I was willing to make that exception when I wasn't driving. Um, but that being said, like when I, you know, when I switch back to this case in a minute, um, after I review the other one I have here in a second, um, I, I got to figure out, like, I, I think I might just have to keep a different case that has MagSafe in my backpack that I bring when I, when I go on car trips <laughs> so that I can like right. swap cases when I'm in the car. Cause I mean, I'm not driving every day. I'm driving like every three weeks. <laughs> so it's not that big of a deal. Uh, but anyway, so that's the totally um, clear soft case. Love it, uh, but no MagSafe. And then finally, a few people recommended the, I don't know how this is pronounced, Caudabe? Caudabe? I don't know. It's C-A-U-D-A-B-E. Oh, and, and I should mention too that Peel and Totally have no branding whatsoever, which is great. The Caudabe has a small logo. This The Caudabe case is not attractive. It, it has like a almost like a pebbled or textured plastic finish. It kind of looks and feels like a popcorn ceiling. (laughs) It's not. And it's, it's moderately, it's like medium thickness. It's not an ultra thin case. It almost feels like coarse sandpaper. But what's nice about it is 
that the overall grippiness and tackiness of it is actually fairly similar to leather, I would say. Like having used leather phone cases for many years, I think this is very close to leather without being leather, which has some benefits, you know, in things like water resistance and, you know, humanitarian, you know, uh, issues and environmental issues. So this is this is pretty nice functionally, and it has very strong MagSafe magnets. So I love it for that. It just is kind of boring and ugly looking, if I'm honest, and it's not, it doesn't feel nice, it just feels functional. And it's highly functional, and after like a day, I've, I've had it on for about a week, and after about a day I stopped caring about how nice it wasn't, because it does work really well, um, but it's not, it's not like, the, it doesn't give me the nice feelings that the, that the clear one did. Um, the clear one both looks and feels better, but it doesn't have MagSafe, and this has, this has like the strongest MagSafe of anything I've tested. Um, so overall, the the Caudet or Caudet sheath case, I like it. I don't love it. I'm imp- this might be the one that I put in my backpack to you know for car trips because it has such good MagSafe. Um, but I I think I'm going to switch back to the totally clear case for my like most of the time case. Um, that being said, a few people recommended an option that I hadn't considered. Uh, that I didn't even know existed, and and once I heard about it, it made perfect sense. A sack. You put the phone in a sack anytime you're not using that, it. A pouch, I believe. No, it's bumpers. Bumper cases, right? No, it's... So, an option I, I didn't even realize existed, for very cheap amounts of money, you can go on Amazon or eBay and buy MagSafe rings of magnets that you can stick onto anything. Oh, my goodness. And so, so I, I got a couple of them here, and sure enough, they work totally fine. Um... And you can you can therefore technically you could convert a non MagSafe case into a MagSafe case. You're putting them on the outside of the case, to be clear, right? Well, you could do either. Now here's uh, the, here's the problem. Right? <laughs> put them on the inside of the case. You can either stick them on the outside, which would work great in the sense that it would stick really well for MagSafe, but then you have a ring of magnets stuck to your case that you have to feel all the time. And look at all the time. And I don't want to feel or look at a ring of MagSafe magnets on the outside of my case. If you put it on the inside of the case, now I feel like you've created a glass breaking risk on that back glass because you're introducing tension by putting something that's moderately thick between the case and the phone, which are made to have no tolerance mm-hmm. between them right you made a place to catch all the all the, the excess moisture and now crumbs and right. the edges of the magnets can scratch the back of your phone and you're, you're distending the case which is going to make it fit less well this is all bad right yeah so i tried it i tried it on the inside for like five minutes and i'm like no i can't do this <laughs> so <laughs> it's like having it's like having like a seed stuck between your teeth constantly yeah that so that i, I couldn't abide that so for now, I, I I couldn't find a use for these for the the two little magnet sheets I bought on Amazon, but um, but it is it is a cool option to know you can do that, and at some point maybe this might be useful for a project like if I wanted to like have a place to stick a, an iPhone with MagSafe somewhere like that could be useful. So you didn't try bumper cases? Um, I didn't try bumper cases. No, uh, my assumption is that is that it would be it would increase the pocket friction in and out problem because it would have to be fairly thick to even stay on and work. Um, but maybe I, I haven't tried a modern bumper. Maybe maybe I could be wrong. Yeah, I think I think the the pocket friction would definitely be a thing. You're probably right. But uh, I, it'd be interesting to try one just to see what it's like. I mean, the, the obviously downside is you you're still going to screw up the back of your phone, but it will you know you'll scratch it up or whatever. But hopefully you won't break it because the bumpers usually do stick out pretty far from 
the front and the back. And it, I think it will also make your phone feel bigger than one of these cases, just because, again, the bumper to do its job, its whole point is to stick out beyond the back and beyond the front by enough to catch your phone and absorb the impact. Um, and I think that'll make your phone feel thicker. But I still have fond memories of the iPhone 4, 4S, whatever it was, bumper. Yeah, same. Oh, I should also clarify, um, buttons-wise, both the um, Cotabay case and the uh, Squishy Clear case both have covered buttons, and both of them cover them with, like, nice plastic buttons. They're not metal. You know, it's the same material as the case, it seems, um, but they're nice. They're nicely covered. The they're Only the uh, mute switch is uncovered on both, um, and otherwise covered. Also, all of these have um, covered bottoms, so sorry, John. I know you like your, your naked bottoms. Yeah, no, I have looked at I don't have an iPhone 13 anyway, so I don't care, but yeah, they're all covered bottoms, so no good. Yeah, so very happy with the Cotabay and the Clear Squishy totally for two very different reasons. Cotabay works really well, has the best MagSafe I've found, um, but it's kind of ugly and not very nice feeling. Uh, the TPU, you know, squishy, totally clear case um, is awesome and looks and feels great, but has no MagSafe. So that's it. Those are the two I'm going to stick with, I think, for the time being. John, I think you in particular wanted to talk about, hey, you know, let's assume for a second that these MacBook Pros were not perfect because, man, they sure seem like they are. Uh, what could you do to make them better, John? Yeah, because we've just spent a couple of shows, a couple of weeks talking about how these laptops have fulfilled all our wildest dreams and everything we wanted came true on them. And they, you know, they're great. And all of that is true. Uh, but people may be thinking, well, now that they've perfected the laptops, you'll never have to talk about them again because the laptop problem is solved. But of course... Nothing is so perfect. These laptops, there when they're is. released, it's very clear <laughs> that there are things about them that could be upgraded, but this is good. This is the, the things I'm going to list off here, and it's not a lot of them, are going to be the things that you would expect uh, of any technology product. When a technology product comes out, even if it is, is as perfect as it can be, which these laptops are not necessarily, but they're really good, but not as perfect as they can be, the technology marches on, and eventually there are better things you can put in them. And so... Rather than the past many years we've had gnashing our teeth about the fundamental design of these products in terms of what features does the product have? What shape is it? What holes does it have on the side? Like really basic stuff. We have the luxury now of talking about computers the way we used to be able to talk about them, which is let's talk about the actual technology in them and see if there is an ever so slightly better technology that they can replace it with. So um, if you look at these MacBook Pros and say, hey, in next year's model or the year after or whatever, in what ways could these be improved? Here are the list of obvious improvements, some of which we have touched upon before. We've got an SD card slot now. Uh, that SD card slot does not support all of the latest SD card standards. Not a big deal, because most people don't have the high-end ones. In fact, some of these standards are so new that you can't even find cards uh, that support them yet. But uh, the one in the MacBook Pros is like it supports UHS-2 speeds, I believe. Um, UHS-3 is out, uh, SD Express is out. The other thing to consider for the SD card slot is some, like, Sony cameras have a slot, have two slots in some of them, uh, that takes either an SD card or a CF Express Type A card. CF Express Type A is a little bit obscure, I think only Sony cameras use it, but the point is you can actually have one slot that takes both SD cards and CF Express any one of these updates, either just, just make the SD card fast slot faster to, by supporting SD Express or UHS-3, right? Or make it a combo slot that supports both. That's an easy upgrade. You've already got the slot. It's there. Make it faster and better. And the speed differences are big. Like, 
the UHS-2 is 156 megabytes per second. UHS-3 is 312 megabytes per second. That's full duplex, so double those if you if you use all the bandwidth in one direction. CF Express goes from like uh, one gigabyte per second up to four gigabytes per second. So there's lots of headroom to make that SD slot better. So that's good. Let's upgrade that. In the same vein, HDMI. We're complaining that it's not HDMI 2.1. What's an obvious upgrade? Hey, in the next round of these with the M2 Max and M2 Pro or whatever, make the HDMI support, uh, HDMI port support uh, HDMI 2.1, 120 hertz, 4K, HDR, all the good stuff. Put in a better chip that converts from DisplayPort to HDMI 2.1 or whatever. Again, we're not saying you need to fundamentally change anything. It's just you've got an HDMI port. You can make that HDMI port better. One more easy one. Camera. Hey, it's a 1080p camera. That's great. But, uh, you know, <laughs> Logitech smell, sells 4K cameras. Maybe it's hard to fit one of those in the tiny skinny screenlet. I understand that. If you can't fit in a 4K camera, then maybe you find a way to get a wide-angle camera so you can support center stage. Uh, the camera can be better. We should continue to ask for the camera to improve. We should not stuck be stuck with another decade of that same cruddy camera in there, even though, yes, I know they just updated it. Um, the screen. Now we start to get into sort of optional extra stuff. The screen is great. Everyone loves the screen. There was a time when the MacBook Pro offered you an option for a glossy or matte screen. Uh, mm, the iMac too, right? You can get the iMac with a nano texture screen, right? Mm-hmm. The big one. Uh, yep. Uh, and of course, the XDR has its ridiculously expensive nano texture screen. Whether it's nano texture or just plain old matte, for professionals, some people might prefer a matte screen. That would be a cool option to have. That's something they can roll out in the next generation if there is any demand for it. Or, or even just imp- improving the anti-glare coating that's on the screen. Something in that vein, right? Cellular. We didn't get it this year. Mm. We still seem to think it's possible. Uh, you know, iPads have it. They're very similar on the inside now. It would be cool to have cellular. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah. Ethernet on the power brick. Uh, there's no room on Ethernet on the side of these machines because they're too skinny. You can get an adapter or a dongle to do it. Uh, MagSafe doesn't seem like it has a way to convey Ethernet to the power brick, so maybe this would have to be a USB-C. You know, you couldn't use MagSafe if you bought an Ethernet on the power brick. Maybe it could be optional. Hey, this is, like, I think the first year that Apple's gave us an option to choose power bricks, so maybe one of the options could be forego MagSafe in exchange for a USB-C power brick with, you know, or a power brick with Ethernet on it with USB-C on both ends that is essentially a Thunderbolt cable of some kind. That would probably be weird and expensive, um... But that would be an interesting potential option. And the final one, and we're really reaching to the bottom of the barrel here, is for like, what is there anything people don't like about this machine, physically speaking? Some people still think the trackpad is too big. I know that seems weird. Isn't a bigger trackpad better? It's nicer to sort of swipe around. But it's about accidental input. A lot of people find it difficult to use this laptop without accidentally touching the trackpad. And yes, macOS has sort of accidental input rejection. But those features sometimes are a little bit uh, unreliable and can be more annoying than useful. And and But if you turn them off, you have to deal with your own accidental input. So I'm not, I mean, have they struck the right balance between comfortable, useful trackpad size and avoiding accidental input? They may think about adjusting that. But I'm just excited to be here to list off this thing, this list of obvious improvements and have them be just like technological improvements. Oh, and, you know, I could add things like Thunderbolt 5, which probably won't be out in time for this. But like, but yeah, like we feel like you've got the you've got it right. Like, you know, you've got the design of this product right. It's like, you know, a car, it's got an engine, it's got wheels. Next year, just make the engine faster and get better fuel economy and make the body nicer looking, make the seats more comfortable, like all the normal stuff that we expect to happen year over year. And these machines, despite us being, you know, like, 
a glass of ice water are in hell for us, right? Despite them being, oh, thank God, they finally fixed everything about the computers. Almost every single thing they put in them, because these computers were designed years ago and technology marked us on, could be upgraded. And I basically listed them in the order of, I think, their usefulness um, and getting down to, like, trackpad shrink and matte screens or whatever. But, like, yeah, just upgrade all the ports. Like, if make Thunderbolt faster when you can, make the SD card slot better because it's already kind of slow, make HDMI better, uh, make a better camera, all that good stuff. And so we are we're on the other side of the, the the valley of doubt, whatever we were calling it before, the valley of doom for these laptops. And now we can just start <laughs> asking for them to be better in plain old boring technical ways. Yeah, which is a great place to be. Like, oh, remember, yeah. I'm not remember back. I mean, you know, this this show existed for a few years before the you know terrible you know 2016 laptops came out. There was a time when we were just kind of like, oh, you know what? This thing hasn't updated in a while. Whenever you update it next, uh, hey, wouldn't it be great to have this you know X Y Z? This is a wonderful place to be. Yep, couldn't agree more. All right, so in the kind of similar vein to what we were just talking about, but a corollary of it. If we were to make new iMacs today, let's just concentrate on the CPUs. What system on a chip would you put in an iMac these days, John? There's been a lot of discussion about that, and I just want to reiterate a point that we've made in the past because it seems like people are getting stars in their eyes with all the rumors of the Jade 2C and 4C die of like, you know, basically taking multiples of the uh, M1 Max and just putting two or four of them inside the thing. Like, that'll be great for an iMac. Uh, and I want people to sort of come back to earth a little bit by just reminding everyone that the exact same chips, chips that they put in these laptops, the M1 Pro and the M1 Max, are perfectly fine for a big iMac. It doesn't mean that there won't be a bigger battery chip, but I'm saying if you get, if they sell you know an iMac with a with a big screen on it, right, with a big, really nice HD, like take the 16-inch laptop screen and blow it up to you know 27 or 30 inches, like that kind of quality screen. And then just literally take the insides of the laptops and put them in a, an even better cooling solution in an iMac. There's nothing wrong with that computer. These are appropriate chips for an iMac. Because remember, the iMac doesn't have to be the pro computer. Whether they call it iMac Pro or not or whatever, it doesn't have to be a pro. And I, I wouldn't, I think the iMac with a big screen would be a worse product if you couldn't get these laptop chips in it. Because the M1 Pro and the M1 Max are great chips for, yes, a desktop computer. Because they're that good, right? Yes, if you can get a J2C die in there and have it be like a you know the iMac Pro that is you know has twice as many cores, great. You can do that too, depending on how big you want to make the iMac. If you try to make it as skinny as a 24-inch, you might be a little constrained. But I just want everyone to stop thinking that the new iMac, the new big iMac, is going to come out and it's not going to share chips with these laptops. It just it has to, it will, it must, unless it's going to be out like two years from now. Because these chaps, these chips are perfect for an iMac, for a slim, quiet, all-in-one, uh, you know, desk, yes, desktop computer. It doesn't have to be as thin as the 24-inch. It can be thicker than that. Hell, it can be as thick as the 16-inch laptop it wants. But the M1 Max, thumbs up for that in an iMac. And also thumbs up, obviously, for doubling that or, you know, quadrupling it. Or if you want to do the big honking chip in the iMac, I'm all for it. I love it. It's great. But if you don't, that's fine, too. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, because like if you look at historically, if you rule out the iMac Pro for a minute, the large iMac for years before that and after that always had roughly the performance envelope of the 15-inch MacBook Pro. Uh, it, it usually had like similarly classed chips, but the desktop version of those chips. But you had generally similar core counts, similar performance. 
the the iMac could go a little bit higher with everything because it had you know more power and more more you know heat thermal transfer capacity. But for the most part, you know the the iMac and the 15 inch MacBook Pro were usually like very closely performing. They 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 were in they were in the same performance class in CPU. The, the iMacs tended to have way better GPUs just because they had more cooling capacity. Sure, right. Um, but so I, I think for. For the large iMac, which still, you know, that that's still an unanswered question on how how that's going to move to Apple Silicon. But for the large iMac, I think it is almost certain that it will have these exact chips in it. And the only surprise, the, the only question mark is why we haven't seen it released yet. And that might be as simple as they sell way more laptops, and maybe they wanted, maybe they didn't have enough M1 Pro and Max chip capacity to release both of those products at once. So maybe the iMac will come in the spring or something like that. Um, or maybe there's some other thing they're waiting on for the iMac or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I'm with you. I don't expect the you know the Jade 2C and 4C kind of thing. Uh, I don't expect that for the iMac. And I don't expect there to be something like the iMac Pro in the past in the sense that it was the Mac Pro processors in an iMac. Um, if we get that as an option, that's great. And I, you know, that, I'm not going to complain if we get that, but I'm also, I wouldn't hold my breath for that because I, I think what we're seeing here is really quite elegant. We have a large slice of Apple's product line using the M1. We have now a moderately sized slice of the product line using the, you know, larger version of that, the M1 Pro slash Max. Uh, and in the future down the road, we will most likely see the Mac Pro offering the big like multi-die version of that you know however they choose to do that um and i think that's the only computer we're going to see that in i think it's only going to be the mac pro where we get that big because i think that's going to be a very expensive processor for them to make however they do it whether it's one giant die or whether it's chiplets or whatever you know stuff we don't really know that much about however they do it it's going to be big and expensive and so putting that in a mac pro makes total sense Putting it in a like two thousand ish dollar twenty seven or thirty inch iMac makes a lot less financial sense. If they have a product called iMac Pro, I can see Jade two C die in there. I I think first of all, it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Apple Silicon transition of the large iMac is called iMac Pro, even if it doesn't have the Mac Pro chips in it. Yeah, I mean these, these chips are used in Pro. You know, MacBook has Pro at the end of it as well in these chips. <laughs> yeah, so that's why I, I think I think we're we're moving towards a future, actually probably a pretty 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 near future, where the MacBook Pro and the large iMac, which might be called the iMac Pro, will use the same chip, and then the smaller MacBook and the smaller iMac will use the same chip. Which, by the way, iPads all the, the high end iPads also use that chip, and then the phone. And the low-end iPads use the A series of chips. And then, you know, the watch and the home pods use the S series of chips. Like these are all, you know, scaled up and scaled down versions of very similar basic building blocks of like the basic core designs. And that allows them to spread out the R&D costs massively, you know, that they're they're doing all this R&D anyway for the phone processor and they get to spread it across their entire product line. Like that's an incredible, you know, scale thing they're doing and, and it's very clever and it's resulting in really great output. But I think what this ultimately will lead to for us customers is 
fewer choices of how many different processors are going to be in the products. So I don't expect there to be a lot of variation here. Frankly, the only reason I think we have variation now with the M1 Pro and Max and the different core counts and everything, I think it's a binning issue. And as the manufacturing process of these gets better, some of those options might go away. Uh, you know, so like some of the low-end options might might just disappear. And depending on how what choices they make for the industrial design of the big iMac, it is it is possible that they could clock them higher and heat them up more because you can put a, a hell of a lot more cooling in a behind like twenty seven inch or thirty inch screen if you choose to. If they go super duper thin, then it'll probably just be clocked like the lap uh, like the laptops are or whatever. But you know, as as that evidence from the 16 inch having a little bit more headroom than the 14 inch one under super duper load, that's how you know you might think, well, why would anyone buy an iMac? How, it's not differentiating itself. It's a desktop computer, but the laptops are just as fast. The iMac can be faster if Apple chooses to make it. You know, just clock it higher, burn off more heat, put bigger fans. Like there's plenty of room. Yeah, that's a good point. And and, and historically, you know, where the when the iMac has been faster than the MacBook Pro. Usually it's faster, you know, excluding GPU stuff. Usually it's faster by, you know, not a massive percentage, maybe 10% or something like, you know, not, not usually not usually a very, very big deal. Um, and so they could get that kind of gain by just minor clock and cooling changes if they wanted to, but, but still using the same chip. So that wouldn't surprise me if they do that. Um, but if you look at like the, the M1 iMac, I think performs exactly the same as all the other M1 Macs, right? Or is I mean, it like slightly faster? It's thinner than all the other. <laughs> I know, right? It's extremely thin. That computer is extremely thin. I, I really hope the big iMac, they don't try to go for that thinness. But That's honestly, I'm really curious how they're going to do that because I, I'm sure they are tempted to because they have the ability now. You know, mm-hmm. the you know if you look at the, the MacBook Pros, like they're pretty damn thin and you could make an iMac Pro that thickness and have all the same guts. You know, I, I keep in mind, all the previous, you know, all the Intel iMac cases were designed to accommodate spinning hard drives and 3.5 inch spinning hard drives at that, like big ones. So that's why they have that giant hump in the back. And they had, you know, larger cooling needs most of the time. When the iMac Pro came out, the iMac Pro never supported a spinning hard drive, but they replaced that. They, they kind of used that interior volume they had to put this massive cooling system in to, so they could put Xeons in there. With whatever they do with the Apple Silicon ones, they won't need to do that anymore. They have both no spinning drives. By the way, the 21 inch iMac that had the spinning drive and was not on Retina was finally discontinued. Like last week. Hey. <laughs> finally, Apple stopped selling spinning hard drives like last week. <laughs> but anyway, uh, and, and the non Retina screen, I believe that also had. <laughs> so we finally finished the Retina transition nine years <laughs> into it. <laughs> My goodness. Oh, no, more than that. Uh, if, you, if you count Retina starting with the iPhone 4, instead of the 15-inch MacBook Pro, uh, that began in 2010. <laughs> so, anyway. But if you... the Retina the transition on Macs took nine years to, to complete. Um, anyway, so, you know, they can... Like, physically, they can go ultra-thin on the iMac... on the large iMac slash iMac Pro as well, if they wanted to. And the only, the only question would become, like, you know, how, where do they put ports and stuff like that? Um, where do they put the SD card slot? Huh? Yeah. They, this is, is going to be a test of, like, what what lessons have they learned? Like, they had many years of complaining about the laptops. Have people, you know, they haven't removed... I mean, they removed it from the little iMac, but like, ah, it's the little iMac, and it's so thin you can't even fit a USB-A port on the back of it, and you can't put a headphone... You know, like... We, we understand that product. It's the consumer product. It's thin for mostly for fashion reasons. We excuse it. We allow it. Uh, but if they replace all of the big iMacs, 
with iMacs that are as thin as that small one and you can't put a headphone jack on the back and you can't put USB-A and you can't fit SD. And it's like, then why did you make a big one, right? So I, I do hope they don't go quite that thin. Yeah, I, I hope you're right because the large iMac served me well for so long and it served so many people well for so long because it, it just was an amazing balance of like, pro quality performance like pro performance levels even before the iMac Pro itself like really pro performance levels for many definitions of pro um, and ridiculous capacity for you know for performance and cooling and then all these ports and it, it was it was just a fantastic line of computers and I hope when they I hope the next version of the large iMac doesn't reduce the utility of it um, at the expense of, of coolness that being said the small iMac when it came out really did make a splash. Like as we mentioned when it came out, people were talking about the design of a desktop in 2021. <laughs> that never happens. Like the, no one cares about desktops anymore except you know pros and nerds basically. But most people, the vast majority of people, would never consider buying a desktop. And that computer slightly bent that curve. I don't expect it to be a permanent thing, but now, for the first time in a long time, people go into an Apple store and they see a really cool-ass looking desktop and they think for a split second, oh my god, I have to have that. That's amazing. Now, I think most of the energy is going to be redirected towards the redesigned MacBook Air next spring. <laughs> I think that, that same energy of, whoa, color exists and it can be fun again. Like, I think that's going to mostly go to the MacBook Air and that's going to sell like hotcakes when, if, that, if they do that to the MacBook Air. That's going to be incredible and I hope they do that as the rumors indicate um, because that'll be a ridiculously fun computer that people will just devour. Um, but... Uh, you know, they anyway, they did succeed in making this desktop something cool and noteworthy for the first time in a long time in an era where th nobody thought that was possible. And so if they do something similar to the iMac Pro, I wouldn't necessarily blame them for it, even though I'm with you, John, I think they should prioritize utility on that machine first, rather than, you know, thinness and appearance. And maybe the direction of the new MacBook Pros suggests that they're willing to do that um, because that's what they do on them. You know, they, the, the new MacBook Pros are not more attractive than the previous ones. I, I think they're differently attractive, <laughs> but they're, they're not more attractive. They are way more useful and way better suited to the actual needs of the actual people who buy them. And so maybe they'll make that same trade-off with the big iMac. Maybe the small iMac is fine to be the like, you know, kind of minimal functionality one that, that prioritizes looks and coolness and maybe they'll, they'll let the big one be the utilitarian one for professionals so if they do that you know i think that would be a good balance overall if the imac product designers are listening and you really really want to make a super thin uh big imac you know how you can do that real easy and no one will yell at you inside or outside the company say do we all know the answer like how do they i'm not i'm not gonna say it myself you too how how does apple do that how does apple say we really want to make a thin big imac and we don't want people to be mad at this what's the solution can they put the guts of it inside a half basketball shaped thing and put that somewhere else on the desk no. and then have no. this thin <laughs> panel that no no casey you get your chance 
Uh, I have no idea. I'm sure call it something that's not an iMac. I mean, oh, it's still. We all know the answer. Do we? Just make a good external monitor because oh. then you don't have any excuses. You got the <laughs> yes. Mac Pro for the big people, right? And <laughs> the big what, people. Your problem is like, well, what if I don't want a Mac Pro? You're telling me I have to get a Mac Pro if I want a utilitarian big desktop computer? No. You've got the Mac Mini. You've got these other things. Just make a big Apple monitor. It solves so many problems for right. you because then yeah, suddenly right. everybody has more options and Casey's not hemming and hawing about buying a used LG Ultrafine <laughs> monitor. Oh, God. Like, and, then, and then you can make a pro version of the Mac Mini. Like, and then the whole world opens up because I feel like the, the Mac Pro allows the iMac to not have to bear that burden anymore of being the big monster machine. Great, right? But if you really, really want to make it super thin because you think iMac is all about super thin, fine, go ahead. All we need is an external monitor from Apple that connects to all the other computers that Apple makes. And then we can build our systems the way we want. No, you're so right. It, it's funny. I had lunch outside with a uh, coworker of mine at my most recent jobby job. And he was basically the IT director, and still is. And we were talking about, because this was before I had figured out what I was going to do with my monitor situation, because this all happened really quickly. And we were talking about, um, you know, what the monitor situation is for an, a MacBook Pro today. And this is relevant because when I first went digging to try to find a monitor, a retina external monitor three, four years ago. So this was like 2017, it's so like four years ago. It was with my friend Rory and the two of us were trying to figure out what monitor should I get? And that's how I ended up on that LG 4K I talked about recently, which not the, the LG Ultrafine 4K, just a straight up LG 4K panel. And I that's what I had used at work because it was the best like bang for the buck to get a retina screen. And, and it was so frustrating over the last week looking at the monitor situation today in 2021 and realizing... It's actually a hair worse than it was in 2017 <laughs> because there was a Dell 5K that was supposed to be very good and not exceedingly expensive that has no longer been made for the last like two or three years. So my choices <laughs> in 2021 are worse than they were in 2017. It's preposterous. So yes, Apple, please make a, a, a less than $6,000 external monitor. Pretty please. Yeah, it does feel like Apple is in like, you know, settling old business mode. And, and so I do think we will get this monitor. I do too. But the the only little drips and drabs of rumors that we heard about it suggested that they might have only started to work on it like like this spring or last year. So, And that kind of thing tends to have a multi-year timeline, maybe like a two or three year timeline. So I think the earliest we would get it might be next WBDC, which wouldn't be that bad. I mean, you know, if it's you know next June or if that's not that bad, but I, I wouldn't expect to see it sooner. If we do, that'd be great. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't get my hopes up too much on that. But yeah, I, that would be wonderful because like we've made such an incredible leap with the Apple Silicon chips in terms of what kind of performance you can get out of laptops. You know, right now, like I, I have this incredible workstation sitting next to me and I don't hear a thing and it's it's a laptop. Like if I would have connected any other laptop I've owned with the exception of the M1 Air, the way I have this laptop connected as my desktop right now clamshell mode running a giant external monitor recording a podcast running zoom and audio hijack and all this stuff there is no way any other laptop i've ever had would have inaudible fan noise in this configuration it would be hot the fan would be spinning the that level of heat would eventually you know cause risk of damaging the screen in clamshell mode or other problems they would eventually clog with dust and it would fill up with even more heat and even louder fans like laptop enclosures 
have not been this good ever in, in terms of like d- the amount of power delivered for the amount of heat and noise being produced. It's never been this good of a ratio. And so I think the need for many, many people has already left in terms of desktops, you know, over the last two decades. But I think the 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 amount of performance you can get out of these particular laptops, this family, the M1 and the M1 Pro and Max, is so high. You get such ridiculous performance that I think many more people are no longer going to need a desktop who were using one before, or who, who even you know need is a is a weird word. I think many more people are going to choose not to have a desktop who were using them up to this point because the laptops are way better, clamshell mode is way more reliable and works way better than it did on the Intels. Uh, you know, external monitor support and everything—it's all—it's so much better now. We can have external Touch ID with, these, with certain Apple keyboards. Like things are getting really great for using a laptop as your desktop when you need that. And then it's also a laptop when you want to take it somewhere with you. That's so compelling. Again, that was already the most popular thing people were doing, I think. But but now it's even more compelling. And so anything that can make that even better for people. And number one problem is the monitor situation. <laughs> that is the number one problem. Like, if, if Apple could make that better, that changes things for so many pros and power users. So many of us use laptops in a desktop context, either on a stand or in clamshell mode with external monitors. And if they can fix that, which again, I, I think they are. I, I, have, I, I, don't know, I don't know anything more than what anybody else knows. I just have a hunch that this is the kind of problem they would eventually fix in this major course correction that we're, that we're seeing them go through. Um, that, will, that would so radically change things that the need for the high-end iMac to be much more powerful than to be any more powerful than the you know high-end macbook pro i think that need just disappears because then it would be taking advantage of its all-in-oneness like it would be the same design brief as the 24 inch it would just be bigger um it's like oh it's great it's all in one and it's minimal and if you want more flexibility if apple makes a monitor first of all if you look at the last monitor they made they were already going down this path which was we want to make a monitor that allows people to make essentially a desktop system out of out of either a non-desktop computer or a different desktop computer, whether it's a Mac mini or a laptop. Remember the big rat tail that would come out? It had a, it had a MagSafe power adapter yeah. and it had a bunch of other things. Like that was to basically say, oh, you have quote unquote one cable. Ha ha, it's a giant rat tail. But yeah, one cable <laughs> that connects to your laptop and it charges it and it connects it to this monitor and the monitor has ports on it. Well, guess what? We've had that technology for a long time. Apple has just not taken advantage of it. We now have the ability to plug one tiny cable into a Mac mini or any Mac laptop and power all the ports on the back of the monitor. And now, by the way, the laptops also have a bunch of ports on them and the Mac mini has a bunch of ports on the back of it, right? That's why we say this thing gives you the flexibility. Suddenly the iMac can be the Svelte, very thin, all-in-one, very elegant, no cables, no connections thing and fulfill that role without sacrificing the utility because if you've got an Apple monitor, you can connect any of Apple laptops or the uh, Mac mini to that and have an amazing desktop setup and still Mac Pro handles the super duper high end. Setting aside now the half size Mac Pro, whether that's the only Mac Pro or there's a half size and a big one, like the Mac Pro has got the high end covered. The the iMac, if you want it to be super thin and 30 inches, fine. Just give us a monitor so we can turn your other computers into a really awesome desktop setup. And in the Mac Mini, it is a desktop computer. It's begging for a good monitor to connect to it. It's begging to have an M1 Pro and M1 Max in it probably as well. So that's that's the lineup for you know 2023. <laughs> Just 
an app, an Apple monitor, a cheap Apple, quote unquote, cheap Apple monitor for 1500 bucks. That's, you know, 5k or 6k or something, HDR, mini LED, like all the great things with face ID built in with a Thunderbolt cable coming out of it. You can connect to any of Apple's awesome laptops or any of its awesome Mac minis. That's not fifteen hundred bucks, by the way. That's <laughs> if my, my my current thinking is if they do release a five K twenty seven inch, you know they would probably call it XDR. It would probably have micro LED and stuff. Seventeen ninety nine, two thousand minimum, possibly twenty five hundred. Well, I'd I'd still buy it, but I feel like yeah. same. No, that's look, that's look, that's modern Apple. Like modern Apple is, <laughs> we will eventually give you what you want, but it's going to cost forty percent more than you thought it would. The laptops weren't more expensive. Like I said, they passed the savings on to you with those laptops. You got amazing laptops for similar prices, or some in some cases less, it's, it's much less if you benchmark them against the previous computers that cost that amount of money. Yeah, that's true. No, but it, it, no. If Apple does make a, an external monitor, it's going to be expensive. Like you know, let me look at the look at the XDR. The, you know, to, you know the, the six thousand dollar XDR. They only released that a pretty short time ago, and it doesn't have some of these features that you're talking about. And it's not that much bigger than those. Yeah, but it's but it's six K. We'll go. We say four fine with five K, right? No one's begging for six K. Sure, but but I I think a a five K Apple monitor released today by today's Apple would be minimum two thousand dollars and possibly even twenty five hundred. Oh, the, the my my brain knows you're right, but my heart is so sad about this. Just listening I, to I you. still I'm still holding out hope for seventeen ninety nine. But you're right; it's probably one nine nine nine. Yep. And by the way, if they do that, I think that's that's fine, you know, because that, that is kind of like the deal between pros and Apple. We bug them about what we actually need. They eventually make it and it's always more expensive than we want it to be. And we suck it up and pay it because that's like that's that's just the, the relationship between pros and Apple. It's been that way for a long time. It's going more and more in that direction. And look at the Mac Pro, you know, the Mac. Everyone wanted like an expandable desktop tower and they finally said okay we'll give you an expandable desktop tower it'll be 15 grand <laughs> but we'll give it to you right? <laughs> you know we'll give you this external monitor you want a nice external monitor to go with it great six thousand dollars so you know it, when, whenever this monitor does come out if, if they are doing it you know a 5k 27 inch it's not going to be under two grand that's <laughs> I, I would love it if it was but i think that's unrealistic to expect two thousand dollars for a 5k monitor makes me kind of sick but Two thousand dollars for a five K monitor with eleven gazillion mini LED zones, just like the MacBook Pro screen has, and HDR and all this other fanciness. You know, you know, if it has, like, all, if it's a twenty-seven inch sized version of this MacBook Pro monitor, eh, two thousand dollars may not be so unreasonable. It's if it's just the LG five K repackaged in an Apple package, yeah, that's a waste of money. But if it's nice, like super nice, if it's not just ultra fine, if it's ultra nice, then <laughs> yeah, I can get behind that. I was looking at pricing for, I'm always looking at uh, replacing my PlayStation monitor with another monitor. My PlayStation monitor is a 4K monitor, um, and it, but it's not 120 hertz, right? And PlayStation 5 can do 120 hertz in some games now, including Destiny. And so I want to see that, right? So I'm always looking for, I should replace this 4K monitor. It's an LG 4K. I should replace it with a better 4K, you know, same resolution, 4K, that's what the PlayStation outputs, but it, I want HDR and I want it to be an IPS because I don't really care about response time. I just want it to look really good and have good viewing angles, right? So I keep looking for, okay, uh, I want, you know, it doesn't, you know, it's, it doesn't, it's not, I'm not looking in the world of Mac monitors. It's just a plain old 4K monitor, HDR with good brightness. I don't even care if it's mini LED. Like I just want, I just want it to have, you know, high, high peak brightness so I can actually see the HDR effects like I can on my XDR and 120 Hertz. 
Uh, and if you put those specs into like a search all available monitors, you will find some. Like I'm looking at a 32-inch 4K HDR 1600 nits, 1,152 mini LED zones, 120 hertz, right? Uh, that's a $3,000 monitor. <laughs> yep. <laughs> right. So that, I mean, and it's because like this is an Asus monitor that I'm looking at. I think it's three thousand dollars. It's like, pronounced as John. <laughs> it's always their top of the line, like for like artists, super calibrated. It's not a gaming monitor because no one who wants well, a gaming monitor cares about this stuff. They all care about like oh, one millisecond response time, like three hundred nits max brightness, and like get that crap out of here. <laughs> I'm not a pro gamer. I want things to look pretty, and then so I end up you know in this thing. So yeah, it's. It's not looking good for the uh, mythical eighteen hundred dollar five K monitor if it had HDR of any kind, which is kind of sad. But I, you know, and so I, I did this look, and I'm like, okay, it's not time for me to replace my PlayStation monitor. I'll check it again next year. I mean, the only the <laughs> only thing that that would support, um, you know, it being somewhat reasonable to be in that price range is if they don't go super, you know, HDR XDR with it, and because they've been selling the twenty seven inch five K iMac for what six years now something like that longer maybe seven or eight years that that computer has existed um it wasn't 2014 the first one so yes so they've been selling that panel that's in casey's totally fine monitor for a long time marco ultra (laughs) in and they've been selling it in a computer that starts at like 2000 or 2200 bucks so i think they they could easily justify if they were still selling a monitor with that kind of spec, they could easily get that in like the $1,800 range. But I don't think that's their style anymore. Like I, I think what they're going to do is the next high-end iMac is going to have the nice, you know, XDR style thing that, that the current MacBook Pros have. Um, and so, and that's going to probably be a, you know, $2,700 starting price for that iMac. And therefore, I think a monitor with that would be around two thousand starting at, at minimum, because it's it's no longer Apple's style to try to make low end products in areas like this that are kind of accessory areas to their main products. This kind of thing that's like a a kind of higher end, kind of pro style, mostly accessory. They're gonna only make the high end ones, and they're gonna price them at very healthy margins, <laughs> and that's why. You know that's why we have their current only external monitor being this ridiculous six thousand dollar beast. Uh, I think they're going to aim similarly high with their smaller one, and as the market tells them, please make a twelve hundred dollar monitor. They're going to make a two thousand dollar monitor, and <laughs> we're going to buy it anyway because it's going to be the best option for a lot of us. Yep. Correction on this Asus monitor. Sorry, the one I was looking at is five thousand dollars. <laughs> oh, what a bargain! I put a link in the show notes if anyone wants to see it. This is a 4K monitor, Greg. This is not a 6K monitor. This is a 4K, 32-inch, 16 by 9 HDR Mini-LED, 120 hertz monitor. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Lutron Caseta, Connection, and Revenue Cat. And thanks to our members who support us directly. You can go to atp.fm slash join to help fund Casey's XDR monitor. And we will talk to you. (laughs) Yeah, right. We will talk to you next week. Now the show is over They didn't even mean to begin Cause it was accidental Accidental. Oh, it was accidental Accidental. John didn't do any research Marco and Casey wouldn't let him Cause it was accidental Accidental. Oh, it was accidental Accidental. And you can find the show notes at atp.fm 
And if you're into Twitter, you can follow them at C-A-S-E-Y-L-I-S-S. So that's Casey Liss, M-A-R-C-O-A-R-M-E-N-T, Marco Arment, S-I-R-A-C, USA Syracuse. It's accidental. So we'll do a little bit of Ask ATP because it is piling up and we keep running out of time to do it. And that's uh, that's our bad. But uh, we figure we'll we'll plow through one or two of these, depending on how brief we can be. Famous last words with the three of us. Oh, come on. It's Apple's fault. It's not our fault. They they mm-hmm. released amazing computers that we talk about a lot. That's that's their fault. That's on them. We're just so happy. All right. Uh, Yossi Connor writes, why is it we no longer talk about processor speed in regard to the M1, at least in terms of gigahertz and instead only talk about the number of cores? What's up with that, John? There's an easy answer to that one. Uh, Apple doesn't sell them based on different clock speeds. You can't choose the clock speed. So there's no real reason for us to discuss it. If they did offer different clock speeds, you can be sure we were discussing it. We'd be saying, oh, you got 16-inch. What CPU did you get? What speed did you get? But that's not an option that Apple offers. Um, That's the main reason. The second reason is it's not like it was in the old days where the processor ran at a certain speed and they could put that speed in the spec sheet. These processors change their clock speed all the time. Not only do they change their clock speed, the parts inside the system on a chip run at different speeds at the same time when the chip <laughs> is working. So it's not even it's not even like you put one number on it and say, this chip is running at 3.2 gigahertz. Really? Every part of the chip is running at 3? Well, not really. It's way <laughs> more complicated. And so it's, it's, A, very difficult to talk about. Obviously, lots of people still sell chips this way because they're basically saying, here's the fastest it can run or here's the fastest it can run in a sustained thing or whatever. Uh, but B, they're just not sold that way. So that's the answer. Uh, it's not worth talking about because there's nothing we can do about it. Good talk. That was quick. I'm stunned. That was very quick. I mean, it's, it's, the reason I wanted this question to be in there is it's a good question. We used to talk about gigahertz all the time, but it's like, if they, if it's not something that, if it's not something that we as consumers have to choose among, especially when looking at pro hardware, like, do we have to, I have to like talk about the clock speed? Do I want the more clock speed? Is that going to burn more of my battery? That's just not a choice we have anymore. So it's not worth discussing. But the second part, the technical part is the thing that people might not realize is that there's not really one number you can put on modern chips. Uh, and so it's not even a useful thing to talk about anymore, really. All right. And then this one, I really like and wanted to talk about, and Marco did as well. And it is a failed question in the get-go, at least for John, because John does not believe in hypotheticals. But I do, and I think this is fun. <laughs> it's so a fun one. This is a fun question. Joel, Joel, Joel Short writes, if you had to choose, would you rather use the previous generation MacBook Pro bodies, you know, all USB-Cs, with an M1 Max chip, or the new generation MacBook Pro with, you know, all the ports, and an Intel chip? For me... This is unquestionably, don't even have to think twice, the old body with an M1 Max every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Because I've already converted my life to USB-C and dongles if I need them. So I'll take the processor, hands down. What about you, Marco? See, to me, this is interesting because the question is a little bit vague. You know, So it's a fun question, but the previous generation MacBook Pro body with the M1 Max chip, well, which MacBook Pro? Is it the 13-inch with no touch bar? And only two ports. Oh, here we go. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it the is it a sixteen inch with with the touch bar? You know, and then does it have the butterfly keyboard or does it have the magic keyboard? You know, like how far back the previous generation started with the butterfly keyboard. So, like, I, if I don't think any of these things are going to change your answer, though. Oh no. So, if 
it is the immediately preceding you know the the 2019 or 2020 models that had the fixed keyboard like the actual good magic keyboard i would choose the older body with the new m1 max chip because even though i love all the new ports and everything that we have on the new ones um the m1 series of chips and the performance they give and the thermal and battery characteristics they give are more substantial to me in my own personal utility for these machines even though i would have to tolerate the touch bar uh, probably with with that choice Um, but no question for me except if the question becomes the butterfly keyboard i would rather use a good keyboard with a 486 in it than a butterfly keyboard with an M1 Max. <laughs> but you would still pick the M1, you know why? Because you're not even touching your keyboard. Your laptop is folded up like a book and sitting next to your computer. Like, you'd still <laughs> buy it with the butterfly keyboard, and you'd slam that thing shut and have it and shove it into your little bookshelf thing and never look at it again, because you're basically using it as your desktop laptop, and it would have the M1 Max in it. Yeah, I guess I, I, I wasn't thinking about it in the desktop context. I was thinking about it as like actually using it as a laptop. Who uses laptops? Laptops stink. <laughs> You know, did I not just talk about how much fun I had at the Botanical Gardens earlier today? Come now. Yeah, but I, I'm pretty sure he didn't mean the butterfly keyboard. Like, yeah, I hope I, no. I who, who would who would do such a thing? Yeah, that's just cruel. <laughs> Nobody deserves that. And that's not the previous generation. That's the previous, previous generation. Like, they did yeah. fix the keyboards before they went to that one. Yeah, I agree. All right, so John, tell me why this question is utter trash, and then do your best answer. No, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, it's you know, it's it's uh, hypothetical making you choose between two things that are both bad. But which one is less bad? Yeah, but the answer is you get the M one. Like, because yes, they are, the ports and everything were bad, and the you know even the butterfly keyboard is bad. Everything, but just the M one is just so much better. And the M one makes the old design less crappy because one of the things that was crappy about the old thing was the fans would run all the time and they'd run super hot and they were super noisy and the m1 fixes all of that right so yeah i would yeah the m1 in the old design is the less bad the significantly less bad choice than intel in the current design 